This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. think it's such a bold move when a 90s movie chooses to start with Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Okay, the music in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I was also surprised. I, it's such an aggressive song. (laughs) I really didn't feel like it set the tone for the movies. Um, It's a, it's, it's kind of a sick song about sex, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not about witches or murder, <laughs> but have you seen the music video for Closer? It's been a really long time, but yes, I have. Yeah, it's got that uh, masochist guy in it getting like ground up and stuff. It's it's pretty gross. It is. It's like. To me, I think using the song Closer feels like they're trying to communicate that this is in the 90s, for one thing, and then also edgy. Like, they're trying to really emphasize, like, this is going to be a more edgy or kind of adult story than you would maybe expect from a Fear Street story. Yeah. So when I say it doesn't set the tone, I'm wrong. It does set the tone. It's just not the tone you're expecting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is true. I mean, I think of that song as just being extremely sexual. Like, right. and, and this movie does not, <laughs> it's not sexual like that. This one is just a like kind of classic 90s slasher movie. It's very scream, which I think they probably nodded to on purpose, I'm going to guess, because it is very 90s. Oh my gosh, there's a Borders. How cool. <laughs> I love I do love that there's a Borders. I was like, oh, Aww. 90s nostalgia. Yeah. Borders and Spencers. <laughs> and then I was thinking about how this movie I feel like is really trying to prey on millennial nostalgia more so than it might be appealing to its like current Gen Z audience. Yes. This is so classic, right? I mean, our movies that we watched as kids were not really pandering towards our sensibilities. They're pandering towards the generation above us. Those are the people making the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Those Or those are the people with money. And right now, millennials have money. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about the pandering. It's, it's, it's just interesting, I think, to see. Like, what, it signals that I'm growing up. I do think that there's some like 90s nostalgia happening over the last couple years with Gen Z fashion. And mm-hmm. so I could see I could see kids being into the soundtrack, but then like not really getting some of the the other things around it. But I mean, this is a this is a Netflix movie. It was the rights were bought and then it was released through Netflix. So there's really like not a lot of information about this movie out there. Because Netflix keeps so much of their stuff so tight. 
you can't find budget info about this movie. Uh, and because it was released on Netflix, I have no box office info wow. <laughs> to even be able to say, yeah, this movie did really well. So that millennial nostalgia is really working for them. I mean, who knows? But they did they did make all three movies, although they were all released at the same time. So they kind of, you know, bought the cow, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> on this franchise. Guys, we are talking Fear Street, a rare completed trifecta, a rare completed arc by Netflix. We are going to take you through each episode in a quick mini-sode, and we're starting today with Fear Street 1994. We are. This one was directed by Lee Joniak, Joniak, who has only done the three Fear Street movies, and prior to that, the movie Honeymoon. Have you seen Honeymoon? Never heard of it. Have you? It's good. It's a horror movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a horror movie with Rose Leslie. Um, who is Egret in Game of Thrones. And I I like it. I, I don't want to say too much about okay. it. Okay, <laughs> then I'll watch it. But I would, I would recommend it. It's good. <laughs> awesome. Let's get a really quick summary and then dive in to this very short episode. Yes. So keeping the summary similarly high level, we have two towns side by side of each other. There is the notorious shady side where it is called the murder capital of the United States, stricken by poverty and crime um, next to the very wealthy, very well-to-do Sunnyvale. Teenager Dina and her friends living in Shadyside are investigating the mystery of murders that are happening through Shadyside that may or may not be the curse of Sarah Fear, a witch who was hung in their town 300 years prior in 1666. And guys, we should warn you, there are spoilers for the other two movies. So if you haven't seen all three movies, you should probably stop and watch them all before you move on (laughs) with our episode. Kate, have you ever worked a mall job? I have not. Okay, me neither. I was worried you would know all about it and I wouldn't. No, I did apply. Like, I wanted those sweet discounts, but I just don't think I was cool (laughs) enough. I felt like you had to be cool to work in a mall. I didn't live close enough to a mall when I was in high school to work at one. And then when I was in college, the town of San Luis Obispo does not have a mall. And so the types of jobs I was applying for were like Target, Taco Bell, <laughs> coffee stores. That, those were the kinds of jobs I was going for because they just didn't have a mall. So I was not part of that. But I know people who worked at malls, and it just seems like another version of retail hell. Yeah. It was like a dream job that I think would have been a nightmare for me. I remember applying at Victoria's Secret, of course, and seeing on the application how many other stores they had connections with and they're like you'll get Mm -hmm. discounts at all these other stores and I was like oh my gosh that'd be amazing but (laughs) didn't pan out I was more of a coffee shop girl I think that this movie is interesting because I mean we've already touched on it a little bit in terms of the millennial nostalgia of the 90s there's so much in this that even though it takes place in 1994 I think really carried through the 90s into the early 2000s in terms of mall culture. Yeah, definitely. 
I, I mean, they they feature a couple of very popular mall stores from the 90s. There is a ton of black light effects everywhere, too, which I remember was very popular at the time, which is funny because I feel like that stuff became popular when our parents were kids, right? It's it's all cyclical, right? It really is. I know. And there's a comeback happening now with yeah. the same kind of aesthetic. It just, I mean, time is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah. But I think that you see it with every generation because what do kids with nothing to do in a town with a mall do? They bum around the mall. Yeah. There's air conditioning. There's stuff to look at. There's friends. Uh, You know, it's a good place to go chill out and be left alone. We talked about Nine Inch Nails closer, but the music in this is just so 90s. I felt like they were really beating you over the head with how 90s the setting was with the music. (laughs) I think the first, like, I want to say 10, not 10 minutes, because the first 10 minutes is the murder scene. But right after that, I I mean, they're in high school and it cuts to different characters walking through the hallway. And every time there's a cut, there's a different song playing. It. <laughs> they must have spent so much money on the music budget. Like I these know. are well known, like top 10 90s alternative songs that they're yeah. putting in this movie. There's Soundgarden, White Zombie, Portishead, just Garbage, like, Mo- Bush, Sophie B. Yes. Hawkins, Cypress Hill, <laughs> White Zombie. <laughs> they are really going for it. And I think that when you're trying to to do such a specific setting, like this this movie is called Fear Street Part 1, 1994. They're going for a very, very, very specific time that the easiest way to do that is with the soundtrack and then with the costuming. I'm trying to think about the costuming and what spoke to me as being overtly 90s. I didn't see any plaid. (laughs) I did see this shirt that I'm actually wearing right now. I think the killer was wearing it. (laughs) Somebody was wearing it. That's (laughs) amazing. Where does this movie take place? That is a good question. (laughs) They gave us the town names, but I mean, I associate plaid with like being a very like originating in the Pacific Northwest and then like through the course of the 90s, like bleeding out into the rest of the United States. I imagine this is on the East Coast. It feels East Coast. Yeah. I don't think the costumes like were really pulling their weight in terms of setting the time period. <laughs> so the the music does jump around quite a bit to help support help support the time period. One thing that jumped out at me that I felt I loved about this movie and about this series but did not feel authentic to the 90s was that nobody raised an eyebrow at the LGBTQ aspect of um, any of these relationships. It was a like a little hidden thing, right? Sam ends up being a girl. We find that out pretty early, right? We mm-hmm. The reveal is that our protagonist is a lesbian and that's it. Like it, it was just like, okay, Sam's a girl. Moving on. Mm-hmm. And I found that so refreshing. I found that refreshing for the children of today, but definitely not accurate of the 90s. 
No. I'm okay with a little revisionist yep. history, though. <laughs> I think we've had so many portrayals in media of, like, homophobia and not being able to be yourself and, like, it being, like, this big arduous journey towards accepting your sexuality and so even though this like totally would not have happened in the early 90s the fact that it's just like yeah Dina and Sam's friends know that they're dating and it's not a problem and like um, Sam is bisexual she's got a new boyfriend like and she's dating a she was dating a lesbian I just love the like frankness Mm -hmm. that they kind of take with the whole relationship yeah, me too. And the parents are, of course, not happy about it, but that's not a surprise in any generation, really, I would say. Did you read the Fear Street books? I read some of them. Yeah, when I graduated from Goosebumps and I still wanted some R.L. Stein, I, I did read Fear Street for a good, good little bit. What about you? I didn't read them, and I feel like I really missed out on something. <laughs> They were kind of cool. I mean, you know, it was it was high schoolers going through horrific trauma instead of kids. So the scenarios were always so much worse than what you ever read in, in Goosebumps. Yes. These movies are rated R. And oh, it I makes know. me want to go back and read these. Because this one is a slasher, but it was also Fear Street. I was like, okay, so it's for high school kids. I expected it to be pretty sanitized of like, violence sex swearing all of that what but there's like i mean i didn't realize it was rated r i didn't know what fear street was yeah (laughs) and so i went into it expecting it to be like scary stories to tell in the dark yeah because i had seen that prior to watching the fear street movies which it's not gory right there's not a lot of blood it's not super scary and so after watching these i was like oh these are like (laughs) A pretty hard R. <laughs> yeah. These yeah. are like, they're like Scream. They're like, I know what you did last summer. They're like, I don't know. That's all I can think of. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. The Scream reference is just so blatant. I mean, they call this guy Skull Mask. Yeah. Right? Instead of Ghostface, right? Ghostface right. is the killer and Scream. Yeah. I couldn't tell you a thing about any of the Fear Street books at this point in my life, except one scene that will always stick with me and still freaks me out to this day. And it was a boyfriend coming over to this haunted house. I think he was just trying to make his girlfriend feel better or something. Sticks his hand down the garbage disposal to get something out of it. And it turns on by itself and just eats his hand. So I wasn't completely shocked when I saw some of the stuff happening in these movies but you're you're kind of right Kate I I didn't realize going in that they were rated R and so once that the first murder happened I was like oh oh this is one of those (laughs) they're treating it this way yes yes it's violent yeah I loved I love some of the deaths in this I think that the initial Borders bookstore (laughs) murder that just like opens the movie is so good because it's just like, all right, this is this is what's going on. Like, um, this bookstore employee kills his friend that they're working together, and he kills the other mall workers and then gets shot by the sheriff. (laughs) 
Yeah, Sheriff gets there a little late. We should talk about him a little bit. There's some good foreshadowing in this movie that I didn't catch the first time around. Yes, I saw, and I feel like you caught these things, and I did not catch them in terms of this foreshadowing. But the sheriff is Sheriff Nick Good, and he is from the town of Sunnyvale. And so there's this, like, very blatant rivalry between Sunnyvale and Shadyside. They're kind of like, oh, everyone from Shadyside's got a bad reputation. There's all these murders, which... (laughs) Quick sidebar, I looked up the murder capital of the U.S. and it's St. Louis, Missouri. Is it really? I would have guessed Detroit. Okay. Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought so too, but it's it's St. Louis. So just be careful. Be careful out there. Watch yourself. (laughs) But this Sheriff Good, on the initial watch, you just think that maybe he's like a little incompetent or a little bit naive or something but it gets more it's more sinister when you've seen all three of them right right he makes this statement at the vigil where he says no point in looking towards the past these things just happen and the first time hearing that I was like I guess he's just trying to help the town move on and the next time you watch it you're like oh he doesn't want them to figure out that he's the reason why this is happening <laughs> yes he's just kind of hand waving and it's i'm like so awful. you're the you're the person who's supposed to be investigating these things which like requires literally only looking into the past yeah <laughs> you're supposed to solve it buddy i i mean also just him being on the scene but shooting the killer too late i was like oh he was there the whole time and just waited okay got mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. all that stuff starts coming together says I'm on your side towards the end with uh, Dina and you know he's just setting her up to double cross her because he does that in the past I mean his ancestors do it so it's I really Mm -hmm. liked how they threw that in it really wasn't obvious what he was but when you rewatch you it jumps out at you Mm -hmm. it's one that really benefits from watching all three of the movies, which I I mean, there's pros and cons to that, right? I mean, it means that n- none of these movies really feel like they stand on their own exactly. Like you have to watch all three of them to get a good resolution to the arc and to get how clever this movie is. But if you commit to watching all three of them, then you do, then you do see these moments of foreshadowing that they set up from from the very beginning of the first movie that pays off at the end of the third movie. I really, really appreciate how cohesive these movies feel. You can really tell that they've mapped everything out. They've covered their bases. There's a lot of love in this trilogy. Yeah, a lot of good connecting details. And with their release schedule, they had released one movie a week over the course of three weeks in the month of October. And it, it almost feels like a mini series. I know that we're always mm-hmm. like, oh, they should have just made a mini series of this thing um, for other <laughs> for other movies. And this is kind of that format and it really works because it just gives them the space to be able to actually develop these threads. Yeah, agree. Well, what's our kill count for this movie? Uh, we had a lot of really great deaths. We did. So we talked about the Porter's Bookstore murder at the beginning. We get 
another death, and this is Peter, who gets killed by Skull Mask. And Skull Mask is the mask killer, and we're not exactly sure who this is. We think that it might be Peter. And then they do like a nice little like switcheroo <laughs> when he actually gets killed next. Oh, Peter. I was like, who's Peter? It's the boyfriend, right? In the hospital. It's the boyfriend. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. yeah. yeah Peter is Sam's boyfriend and he gets killed at the hospital. And in that kind of subsequent scene, yeah. two additional hospital workers um, get yes. killed as well. I loved it. I was like, "Are is this going to be one of those movies where only the kids feel like they're going crazy and seeing things and getting murdered? And it's like, nope everyone's on the slab <laughs> it was really great the one hospital worker got knifed in the throat right and I forget mm -hmm. what happened to the second hospital worker probably another oh, knife I think it was knifed in the back or something yeah. it was it, it's pretty gory like there's a it lot is. of blood yeah. yeah there's a lot of blood in this one the next set of deaths with the actual deaths of Kate and Simon because there's some Ugh. like attempting to kill these resurrected killers because the the curse of Sarah fear, fear reanimates previous killers and they try to kill them but i mean i mean it, it's a curse they reanimate right <laughs> these are undead killers right right and so skull mask gets killed right but he comes back and keeps killing other people but yeah the grocery store deaths oh man i was like i love this i'm totally into it this is very saw but i was very sad when these two characters got it because i loved all I the know. characters <laughs> i know these two like friend characters kate and simon really good but these deaths were incredible i mean one of them's using a meat slicer like the yes. deli meat slicer to kill someone it's like a <laughs> it's human shredder <laughs> Yeah, it's really gross. It is like Saw, you're right. It's it's yeah. that level of like kind of like disgusting horror slasher that you're just kind of shocked that they actually commit to. It's like you get to see what happened to that gremlin in Gremlins 2, the one that attacked the secretary. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, being shoved through the paper shredder. Yeah. <laughs> and Simon gets like a, a sick, wet slam to the head with an axe right in the middle of his head oh it's yeah good. yeah the sound you're right <laughs> there's it's a sick. definite sound to it that one's so good I thought that I mean yeah the kids Let, let's want talk about to, it <laughs> I know all right so the kids are trying to figure out how to break this curse all of the killers are targeting Sam because Sam was the one who disturbed the bones she bled on the bones. Why were bones from 300 years, like, right at the surface? And not decayed? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Like, I, yeah. But leaving that as it is, they're all targeting Sam, and they figure out that a previous victim of one of these massacres had died but then was resuscitated and so then they figure okay we just need to figure out a way to kill you and bring you back and I was like if I was 17 and my friends were like don't worry we'll bring you back I would be like I'm just gonna say goodbye 
<laughs> like, there's yeah. no way. There's no way you guys are going to pull off actually bringing me back from the dead. Uh, Kate, I don't know if I would trust you to bring me back from the dead. It just I seems would not very trust risky. You. <laughs> <laughs> I would not trust you. I love you, but I feel like in any – I don't – I wouldn't trust Mike. I wouldn't trust uh, yeah. any person to – effectively bring me back from the dead you just have to be like all right I'm just gonna die and if I come back that's a bonus (laughs) I mean isn't that kind of bad for you like don't you get some brain damage or something like depending on how long you're out how long it is depending on how you die right like and they drown her in the lobster tank oh man her death sucks it's like also kind of a nightmare yeah (laughs) before this Kate and Simon are trying to retrieve drugs for her to to take as a cocktail so she can commit suicide that way, which I think mm-hmm. is the way I'd prefer to go also. It's less, it's just easier to swallow a pill than to stick my head in a tank of water. <laughs> but she vomits them out and then has to find another way to die. So she has to go through both. I would be like, just leave me dead. I don't need the lifetime of therapy that this is going to require. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> following this. Can we talk about these two for a minute? Talk about the fact that Dina broke up with Sam because Sam moved 30 minutes away. You know, it feels very high school to yes. do. <laughs> yeah. And she moves to the other town, which is like such a thing I know like what is she supposed to do though she lives with her mom I know (laughs) I know it's like the worst excuse and then there's all of this like angst and drama between the two of them and she's already got a Sam's already got a new boyfriend Peter that was pretty quick yeah it was pretty quick but I mean all of it I'm just like yeah you're like 16 17 how old are you like of course (laughs) I was like kids these days (laughs) What is this? No commitment. I guess it is the 90s. So it's just like you don't have texting and like the odds of you having like an email address are probably really low. So you're like, what am I going to do? Write you a letter (laughs) like like it's (laughs) Civil War era? Like, no. (laughs) I mean, you could ride your bike over. I I don't know. I just I thought that was very. I don't even know what the right word is for it. I thought it was funny. But I also thought it was a bit ridiculous. She was, I was like, there's got to be another shoe that's going to drop. Like, there's something, <laughs> some other reason why she is this mad at her. But I know it. it is funny that that's the only reason that they moved. <laughs> they didn't even try. They were like, nope, <laughs> you're dead to me. <laughs> you're in another zip code. <laughs> Not into it. Uh, would you recommend this movie? I do recommend it. And I recommend it for kids who are fine seeing rated R movies. I don't really agree necessarily with the age level on rated R movies, but you know your kid, if they can handle gore and violence and being scared, then it's fine. (laughs) I totally agree. I recommend this movie. And I think the age range is going to be completely dependent on how your kid can handle violence and gore. Because it's pretty shocking in some of the scenes. There's no sex. There's not really swearing. Or if there is, it's so minor that you just kind of gloss over it. It's it's the gore. There's some gross stuff yeah. in this movie. But if your kid is 14 and into it, great. If your kid is 18 and squeamish, skip it. <laughs> Hate craft time. Yes. 
So for each of these Fear Street installments, we are doing a glow-in-the-dark or blacklight craft. And we let ourselves have total free reign to do whatever glow-in-the-dark or blacklight craft our little hearts desired, one for each of these movies. So I'm very excited to see what you came up with. Um, I am less excited to show you what I came up with. (laughs) I'm in the same boat, Kate. So let's prepare to be (laughs) underwhelmed. (laughs) Yes. And I will say that I am going to start with my crafts in the order of least successful to most successful so that we will end these mini-sodes on a high note, at least for my crafts. Oh, that's a great idea. I think I'll do the same. Okay. So for my craft, one thing I really learned when doing these glow-in-the-dark crafts is that my phone is four years old and does not take good pictures of things in the dark. <laughs> That's all right. That's why we have Photoshop. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'll make it look great, Kate. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So this craft that I did, I, love I it. based on this online instructional for how to do a stained glass window effect um, using acrylic paint on an acrylic frame. So I had an old frame that had a had a crack in it and so I just had it around and I bought from Target glow in the dark acrylic paint and did kind of like a try to do like a paint pour effect and do some patterns in it with a brush um in order to get some kind of interesting uh effects when you looked at it through the glass because you don't put a backer on it when it's done you just kind of have whatever your blank wall is behind it the acrylic paint from Target I put a flashlight on it for a long time and I put it out in the blazing hot, almost 90 degree sun in Boulder this morning for like 20 minutes. (laughs) The UV is super high here today and it glowed very unimpressively (laughs) after all this time. So I think that if I were to do this again, I don't know that you would be able to pull off a good stained stained glass effect because I think you need a lot of layers of this acrylic paint in order to build up enough of the material to get it to glow properly. But I will say that this craft was really, really easy and like literally any age range. Like you could give a toddler paint and a paintbrush and just tell them to go ham on a canvas if you didn't want to do the stained glass effect or on a acrylic paint. And they'd be able to pull it off. That's cool. It also looks like a form of printmaking. And I forget what it's called. I think it's a, a mono monograph or monolith. But yeah, it, it's very cool. I like that glow-in-the-dark paint colors, mm-hmm. especially for this movie, felt really 90s. It's totally. very like hot pink, uh, slime green, neon orange. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, Minecraft. This, yeah, I would consider this my least successful craft, but it still worked and it's still fun. But I wanted to play with glow in the dark bubbles. Thanks. So, what you do for this craft is you can just buy some bubble solution. I'm sure they sell it at the dollar store, get it really cheap, and some highlighters. I bought a pack of highlighters on Amazon for five bucks and it came with like 12 highlighters. Mm, So, it was pretty good. 
Then you want to pick the highlighters that react to a black light. So I bought myself a little black flashlight. Also works if you just buy a black light bulb. And that's how you can check which inks are actually reactive to the, the black lights. So just shine your black light on the highlighters, ink, double check that they're, that they're reactive to it. And then you break apart the pen and stick the, the tube with the felt in it with the ink. You just throw that in the bubbles and sit it overnight. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy. And what happens is the ink seeps out. You can blow bubbles. And I was kind of doing this at night. You can give, you can hold the flashlight or your kid can hold the flashlight while the other person blows bubbles and just look at the bubbles right in the dark. It's really cool. I mean, blowing bubbles <laughs> is like mm -hmm. one of the most basic activities you can do. And it's hella fun. I just, I love <laughs> sitting and blowing bubbles, especially when like my cats are around. It just makes it so much better. It was kind of fun to just sit at night, blow bubbles and take pictures of what they look like in the dark with the flashlight on them. Another thing that I thought you could do with this is to have one kid blowing bubbles while another kid catches them with a piece of paper. And so then you get some cool like black light artwork. Oh, cute. Yeah, yeah. that would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. I like how easy it is too. Yeah. Yeah. You just Give your kids some glow-in-the-dark stuff and send them out in the dark to play. It's totally safe and normal. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. Well, we will definitely share photos of our craft successes and failures on the blog <laughs> and where there are applicable online instructions that we used. We'll definitely link those as well because I think that there were some, some cool tips on at least my stained glass craft for other things I could have done in terms of using non-glow-in-the-dark non acrylic paints and some other mediums that could be cool just for, for projects in general. So check it out. We will catch you guys next week. We're back with a regular episode, The Witches. Um, and then join us again when we jump back into our next mini-sode of Fear Street and our next glow-in-the-dark craft. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.